I came to church late because I, I have, I've had one of those days where my hand goes out and misses the coffee cup. Sorry, the coffee to grab it, but it doesn't miss the cup. And so just before I got here, it spilt on our carpet. And uh, I had to do that. And I'm just thinking, I don't want to wreck your lovely carpet. Thanks for having me. I've actually got a, a little um, clicky click, so I'll make the clicky click work. Is that all right? You happy with that? I was going to just warn you that I, I was going to swear at some stage during the message because sometimes you've just got to say what people actually think. But I've realised there are some people in this room that probably wouldn't appreciate that, mainly the parents of those that are sitting beside children. So I'll make sure that I contain my language. And by the way, I took my shoes off because we're standing a long time and I saw that Matt did it. So I'm, I'm going out in em- <laughs> empathy with him. Uh, I do actually enjoy speaking with, with no shoes. And if you're wondering, um, for those of you that are geeky enough to ask the question, did you go to Oxford University? Well, in fact, yes, I did go to Oxford University. I had lunch and bought a T-shirt. Um, that was on the way to the airport. But uh, no, we didn't attend it. But um, uh, there's nothing pretentious intended. But thank you very much for asking me to speak about um, something that I think, I guess, we often don't have a, have a lot of understanding of, of some of these terms. We throw them out there. But um, I know that Matt sort of um, spoke to you a few months ago about something that, that got me thinking, the fact that we actually worship a pathetic God. Um, and, you know, at first people go, no, we don't. You can't say that of God. We get caught up in words because words actually matter, but if we don't know these words, they actually lose the power of their meaning. And when I first um, spoke this message that we worship a pathetic God, people were almost ready to stone me, you know, not with the drug stone, but the actual um, real rocks. And uh, that, that actually hurts. But actually, when you think about it, the word is that God is a pathetic God because we don't worship or praise an apathetic God, do we? God isn't apathetic. Now, the word ah in front of a Greek word means not. So God is not not pathetic, which makes God pathetic. You got that? If you're doing English language, you do not write that in an essay. Otherwise, people will say that's really dodgy. Um, but God is not not a pathetic God, uh, an apathetic God. God is not an apathetic God, so God is not not pathetic, which makes him pathetic. We actually worship a God of pathos, a God who created us in the image of this God to actually care for stuff around us. Uh, we're meant to care for each other. We're meant to care for our creation, but we're also meant to care for ourselves. And uh, this word empathos, empathetic, is a very interesting term because I thought, great, when I was asked to speak a couple of weeks ago, I'll go to my dictionary and I'll look for the Greek and I thought, what I'll do is I'll bring all the words like empathy into the, the, the Bible and I'll be, be smart. Um, the problem is empathy as a word does not exist in the Bible. Which meant, what do I do? Now what I've got to do is go to Google. I won't say that. <laughs> Google. But um, I, went, I went and thought about it. And um, you know, Trudy and I talk a lot about this because it, it's something we come across in counselling a lot. I, I thought, well, you know, what does it mean to have empathy for relationship? And what does the Bible actually speak into the concept of empathy? Because the Bible talks about sympathy, which means uh, empathy with, if you like. You can have sympathy but not actually care about the other person. Sympathy in itself is a great, important value to have when it comes to other people. But often what it does is it keeps us separate from the other person because I can say, oh, look, I'm terribly sorry that you broke your arm. You wouldn't laugh, but I'm terribly sorry, but I don't actually have to feel that. I don't have to be part of that. I can show 
that I actually am sorry or, you know, am sad that they, they did something. But that's not empathy. Empathos, empathy is literally um, in pathos with someone. It's having pathos in the relationship, not just alongside someone, but actually connecting quite deeply with another person. Uh, Sympathy is feeling compassion, sorrow, or pity for the hardships that another person encounters. Empathy is putting yourself in the shoes of the other. But in order to do that, you've got to share something of the feeling of that emotion or that moment. So empathy actually goes deeper than just standing on the outside of someone's life. It actually requires us to walk alongside someone. And sometimes, you'd agree with me with this, sometimes the people we're called to walk alongside are not very nice people. Don't nod your head and tap your husband's shoulder because (laughs) I'm not saying that. Sometimes the people that we're actually meant to stand beside are not the sort of people that we'd normally hang out with. They talk funny. I wasn't looking at you because you're from South Africa. I'm just, just happened to be dancing at the same time. They, they talk funny. They, they act funny. They smell. They, they don't do what we want to do. They don't have the passion that we have. They don't um, share our, our love of stuff. They eat funny food. They speak funny. Some of them even swear. And I'm talking about your friends and your family sometimes. The thing is that we sometimes are we're, we're unaware of exactly what it requires to be part of someone. And so what we do is we keep people at a distance because in order to stand beside those people, we've got to put down some of our own guards. And I like what um, Alfred Adler spoke. And he's, a, he's a, a dead psychologist now, so we can't talk to him. But he basically said this. He said, empathy is seeing with the eyes of another, listening with the ears of another, and feeling the heart of another. Isn't that a beautiful saying? Listening... Seeing with the eyes of another, listening with the ears of another, and feeling the heart with another. Think about that statement for a moment. What does that actually require us to do? Have a think for a sec. It's very interesting because I'll finish with a certain verse that I think speaks right into this. Hearing with the ears, seeing with the eyes, and feeling with the heart of another. There's actually a responsibility on my part. Empathy isn't something that's actually natural to everyone. I'm a naturally empathetic person. But that actually at times makes me pathetic in the negative term because sometimes I want to fix someone's pain so much that I actually don't hear what they need. I presume what they need and I jump in and I can't fix them. And so I get broken. You see, empathy doesn't mean just a self-abnegation, a self-emptying to the point of having to make yourself vulnerable to everything. That's not what good empathy is. But it does require us to put our guard down. And that can be hard sometimes. It's very interesting. There are four types of empathy according to the, um, the wonderful Brene Brown. Actually, I got this from, for those that like Brene Brown. But it's, it, they talk about these four different types of empathy. The first one is cognitive empathy. In other words, trying to figure out what it means to walk in the other person's shoes. Now, my shoes do not smell KJ. And by the way, you can't walk in my shoes because you've got too big a feet. But sometimes what it actually requires you to do is get alongside and walk the journey with someone before you actually judge or decide what it is that is needed. You know, too often what we do, and we found, I found this when I came to Australia, I thought every Australian wanted to speak New Zealand. I thought everyone wanted to be, be Kiwi. And then I found out, no, we're actually hated and despised. You know, when it comes to the Bible, it says Jesus sat with tax collectors and sinners. And now you go, what is that? Has anyone ever asked themselves, why do they make these different designators? And then I realized, actually, if it was brought into the modern, I'd be going, tax collectors, sinners, and Kiwis, according to the Australian um, population. That would be the Australian Bible because, you know, let's face it, 
we're just a weird bunch. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't agree with me too much, Daniel. But that's, that the fact is, is that often what happens is that in order to understand and connect with someone at the level of empathy, we've got to stop long enough to actually walk with them. And yet so often that can be hard because that means putting down our defenses, putting aside something that's not quite the way we do it. And I like the idea of it being uncomfortable. We've talked a lot about that this morning. There are some things that connect to my message. However, can I say, and this isn't a corrective to what people say, I just have to say it because it was part of my, my, my message. Giving yourself and becoming uncomfortable isn't to the point of you not finding comfort enough to continue to be healthy. We need both the family to be healthy, this family, as well as go out. Because if all you're doing is going out and being out there for the lost, you're actually sometimes just transferring your hurt and pain into their lives. And you're not spending enough time building health. God's family is the one that's to go out as a healthy family, which actually requires family time where you're encouraged and inputted. Because true empathy cannot come unless you yourself have both self-empathy, which I'll talk about, and have empathy from other people. So we're not just called to have empathy for the lost. We're actually meant to call, call first and foremost to have empathy for each other, to be able to walk in each other's shoes, to be able to actually spend time long enough to actually know what the other person needs, not just what we think they would like. Is that okay? So social, uh, cognitive empathy. The other one is social empathy, sensing, understanding what the other is feeling. This can be hard. If, if you're a feelings person like me, it's like, oh, my goodness, someone's crying. We just watched a girly movie, and all of a sudden we're all in tears, and, and I know what you're feeling. But some of us are going, I've got no idea what they're feeling. Oh, my goodness. Why are they crying about that? Oh, my goodness. Why are they laughing about that? Oh, my goodness. Why are they so excited? And sometimes what we do is we stand back and we judge the other person's emotion because we think that's silly because I don't get that. Or we judge ourselves and we say, there must be something wrong with me because I'm not sensing it. Both of those extremes aren't quite healthy when it comes to empathy. Fascinating. Sensing, understanding what the other is feeling. Empathetic empathy, that might sound uh, funny, is actually sharing each other's feelings. Now, that's not just having sympathy and saying, yes, you broke your arm. Um, I lost my truck one day when I was a little boy. I understand what you're feeling. It's actually, um, I guess, being able to mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep and comfort those who need comfort with the comfort that we've received from the God of all comfort who comforts us in our thing. If, if you actually want to know where I'm coming from, that's in, um, in 2 Corinthians. And there's twice in 2 Corinthians that Paul stutters or you think, come on, Paul. Trudy, my wife, is a fantastic um, person, but when she edits my work, she'll go, Grant, you've said that five times. Why don't you just say it once? Because that's, you know, that's important, and, and she's right. But you see, Paul says it. We're comforted with the comfort that we ourselves were comforted so that we can go out and comfort others with the comfort that God has received and be a community of comfort. You got that? So we, we share with each other the feelings that we have in this particular form of empathy. Because it's important to recognize that sympathy doesn't have to go beyond just the feeling sorry. Empathy actually requires some action. And this leads us to the fourth form of empathy. And that is compassionate empathy or empathetic concern. And this is an important one because I think this is where empathy sits with the Christian community. Uh, Compassionate empathy goes beyond simply understanding or sharing their feelings. It moves us to action. 
What is it that we can do because we know what the person's going through? Therefore, we understand what they need and what part do we play in it? Now get this, not every single one of you will be able to empathetically give to another person what they need. Because that's not, why, that's not the way Christianity works and it's not why the, the way um, a community works. The great thing about this family is you're so diverse that if you can't give someone what they need, you're with a family of people where someone will be able to give what they need. And it's important to recognize God does not demand of you to give everything to every person in every way because that's physically and emotionally and spiritually and psychologically impossible. Some of you are wired with less of that ability than others because that's not who you're meant to be. But the great thing is, is we're in a family of people where I can feel something like someone needs support. And then I can go to Sam and say, I can't give that support, but you can. Are you able to journey with me and with the other person so that their need is met? But compassionate empathy goes beyond the, oh my goodness, this is impossible. This is painful. What can I do to actually, let's figure out what we can do. So compassionate empathy, I think, is the the empathy that we want to focus on. Because when you look at the Bible, this is exactly what the Bible speaks of in the sense of what our role is as a community, as a family. Irrespective of who's out there who is lost, what about those of us who are found? Because if we don't understand how to do it in here, we will not be able to do it out there. And this is a safe place or should be a safe place where we nurture empathetic action where we learn what it means to have empathy, which I'll come to in a moment. I do have four points in a poem. I don't have a poem, but I do have some points about how to develop empathy. But one of the things that I think is important, and I've already responded to it, uh, sort of alluded to it, is this idea. um, Do you mind if I come and spit over here? I spat over there before. Um, the, the, The thing about the Bible is the Bible does clearly bring it back to this me and us and we to them and it actually does include you. And this is an important thing that I'm, I'm on a journey of actually helping Christians realize when we say it's not about you, it's not about you. It's about a whole journey. But God also makes God's love about you as much as it's the other person. Because the Bible says this, agape your neighbor, the other, as you agape yourself. Now, it's interesting because we use the word love a lot, don't we? Oh, I love this. It was this gorgeous. Um, you know, but, but this isn't the love of chocolate. That's the greatest thing about uh, the love of God that's spoken about in this verse. God doesn't require you to love another person like you love chocolate. You've got to love each other like that. But that's, you can do that. All right? You're allowed to do that. We're not allowed to love your hubby with the love of chocolate, but you can. The love of chocolate is the desire that, oh my goodness, I long for you. I, I absolutely adore you. I just want to, I just, I just can't stop thinking about you, right? That's the love of chocolate or Candy Crush in my, my case, because I'm off chocolate because I'm a cancer. That's okay. Um, but you know, Candy Crush, um, that's actually the word eros. We've spoke, I think I've spoken about it before and you've probably heard it. That's actually a, a, a word that isn't used as much in scripture, but the theme is there. I long for you, God, just like in a desert, I long for you as a deer pants for water. That's the love of passion, the, the, the desire of, of belonging and longing and drawing. That's actually a le- legitimate form of love because eros wasn't just used of sexual love, erotic love. It was actually spoken of prior to Jesus as the greatest love you can have for the deity or the divine. 
Aristotle said that if you, if you have eros in your life for the divine, now their God was different to our God, we understand that. Aristotle said you will actually look to lead a life of righteousness. We use that term in Christian circles, don't we? That you're actually, that was, they believed that that's what drew you to righteousness. Whereas what the Bible says is eros doesn't drive you to righteousness because it's actually quite a selfish love in one sense. It becomes quite self-absorbed. That's not the love that leads us to righteousness in our God's narrative. The love that leads us to righteousness is agape. The other love was storge. Can you say that? I just want to drink. So stay storge again. Just with storge. I don't normally like manipulating people, but you know, it just helps me drink water. Um, it's nothing manipulative about this. Storge was actually the love of loyalty. It's the love you had towards the Labour Party who are about to get back in. Ooh, I just want to see. It was the love that you had towards, you know, blood is thicker than water. That's storge. That would be quite an appropriate love that we're actually to, to honour God with this storge. But the Bible doesn't call us to do that. It calls us to do this agape. And the other one, of course, was phileo. Can you say that? Phileo. Isn't it beautiful to flothe off your lips? Phileo is this wonderful love of brotherly love. You know, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly kindness. It's used a lot in the, the, the um, Bible. It's used of, of the strength of relationship who aren't part of your family, but now become part of your family. It was actually, for many, it was the highest form of love because you were willing to lay down your life for the sake of another even though the Bible uses this word agape. And, and in the end, it actually doesn't use agape. All back in the Old Testament that was written um, after the Hebrew and the Greek, and then into the New Testament, they started using this word agape. And this word agape is got nothing to do with a godly love, and yet it defines God's love. People said, oh, it's this wonderful spiritual word. It actually wasn't. You ready for this? How many people have got dogs, Right. Agape was used to suggest that the love that your dog has for you and the love that your dog has for you goes like this. <laughs> and you go, my dog loves me better than my wife. I don't have a dog but, or, or my friend or whatever. You know, that, that was agape love. It was the love of a master to a, a servant to a master to try and actually please the master. And it's interesting because when it comes to agape one another as yourself, it was the slave love, that enslaved. And that's what your dog does. Your dog actually has a crisis when you leave the house. It is codependent on you. It goes, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? <laughs> and then it comes home. You come home. <laughs> you know, that was the sort of love because the love that they wanted to devote themselves in such a way that the, whatever you want, I'll serve you, I'll serve you, I'll serve you. Our cat doesn't have agape love. <laughs> All right. Agape love was this, was this love that said the other person matters. And guess what? The Bible says this, God is agape. It's not says that God just agapes you occasionally, but it says God is agape. What sort of love is agape? The love of a servant. Who's the servant in this scenario? Come on. You don't want to say it because it's too, no, no, we're bringing God. Who is the servant in that scenario if God is agape? Jesus, God. For God so agaped the world. Yeah, Adam comes into it. You wait. That's, a, that's an in-joke, okay? Because every time we'd have a Bible study, I'd bring Adam into it. 
Because um, you can, actually. I could do that, but I won't do that, Melissa. Okay. Um, you've got this, this agape. You're still with me? Am I going, okay, I've got a wee bit of time. I know that we've been a little bit long. You're okay with me? Um, agape is this interesting thing because God is the servant in this case, and we are the master. And you go, no. But that's the whole story of God. God opens up God's self for the sake of something that isn't God. So that, that which isn't God can actually thrive can actually experience life and love. So if you want to put it like this, serve your neighbor as you serve yourself. Why do we do that? Because God first agape us. We agape because God first agape us. Now that plays with our sensibilities because we're meant to serve God as God's slaves. The Bible doesn't say that. God does the serving throughout all of his covenants throughout the Old Testament and the New. God does the, the, the role of the enslaved person that will bind themselves to the other for the sake of the other it's fascinating when you see that and you go that plays with our theology of this transcendent god whom we're meant to honor with this perfect holiness or if you've got the wrong accent this holiness hello come in it's good agape one another as you love yourself so love one another, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So the other area of, of pathos, of empathy, actually starts first and foremost with self-empathy. And you might go, I'm, ne- I'm, not, I'm meant to get rid of my stuff. I'm not meant to have any self-assurance, self-worth. I'm meant to have self-worth. Sorry, that was really bad, wasn't it? So, um, I'm meant to have, have self-worth, but I'm, not, I'm meant to give myself away. Well, actually... It's interesting that the Bible says you love with the love that you have for yourself that comes from God. But in order to do that, you've actually got to have some form of self-empathy. I'm right, aren't I, Jude? This is what you were talking about last night in the car. I just want to make sure. You see, one of the things that happens that stops us from having empathy with another is there are things in the other person that often trigger stuff in us that go, oh, my goodness, that's painful or that's traumatic or, oh, my goodness, I don't like that in myself or my life has had a story, a narrative by which if I give myself to that person and show empathy to that person, I have to confront my own brokenness, my own pain, my own trauma, my own uncertainty, my own insecurity. So in many ways, until you can build a little bit of self-empathy, you often cannot fully embrace the other. Because to me, empathy is the fuel that actually leads to open and full relationship, be it in marriage, be it in friendship, be it in this community, be it in the world. Because otherwise what we're doing is we're leading people to a God that we don't understand ourselves. And often what we're doing is we're bringing people to a Jesus that we don't understand because we've been told it's not about you, it's about Jesus. You're a slave. It's got nothing to do with you. Yet people out there are broken that don't need to hear about sin so much as they need to hear about the grace and the love that actually leads them so that when they're in the presence of God, sin becomes sin in its true state. And I'm not, if I've negated anything that came from... um, What's been on? Awakening, sorry. There's been a few things on in my week, so um, I I do apologize. I'm not trying to in any way discourage or dishonor that. But I think sometimes we forget that God wants us to give out of what God has given us, 
not just what we think we're meant to give out of something that we don't have ourselves. Not all the time. Again, you've got to work through that. Anything I say, by the way, stone me in eight years. That's the long period. That was when you were allowed to stone prophets and, and pathetic people. Um, but uh, I'm not saying that it was prophetic. All I'm saying is that do, do challenge what I say. If you, if you think it's wrong, don't. I'm, I'm just sharing what I, was on my heart for this. Um, but sometimes we become je- judgmental of the other because we can't get past our own triggers. So they actually trigger in something. And we go, how can that person deserve our love and our openness because they have got this in their life? And so often what that this in their life is is actually our own stuff, the filters, the glasses that we're wearing that we go, oh, my goodness, why do they deserve it? Or, see the or? I've got the or on the PowerPoint just in case you missed that. That word or means or. There's no, nothing Greek about it. Um, we judge what we don't understand. That person doesn't deserve anything because... I, I was at the gym the other night. Um, yes, thank you. I go every, every three or four days. Um, we, I was at the gym the other night, and at the end of it, there was a f- couple of um, the three really ocker guys. One guy was a, a champion, a boxer. Uh, he does the gym with me, he swears his head off. That wasn't what I was going to swear about, but I, and I won't use this swear word because there's now parents with children in the room um, and the children don't want to have to explain to the parents what that word means. And the, um, the, the thing they were saying was we were talking about, um, about the terrorist attack in the, the city. Now, Trudy and I were driving in as it was happening and we heard this, ra- this radio saying, the city is locked down, and Trudy was saying, should we turn back? No, my sister's in there. She wants to carry. She's over from New Zealand. We go, we, we'll carry on, you know. No, no, the the Monash is going to be closed. You won't be. And we're going. Should we turn back? No, no, no. We'll, we'll carry on. Thinking, when are we going to get the roadblock? Because the whole city is in lockdown because of a terrorist attack. And I'm thinking bombs and and well, there was a sort of a bomb. But I'm thinking, you know, we also go. There's the big story of what's going to happen. And anyway, we get in there right into the car park. There's nothing going on. There's helicopters flying around. We know on the news something's happened. We go to the noodle market because that's where we're meeting my sister. And the noodle market was very interesting, very expensive. Nice noodles. Won't go back. But that's okay. The, the noodle market was an interesting um, market. And I observed no one cared. And anyway, I was talking to the guys about this at the gym. And one guy says, oh, if I never sent those, I was going to swear there. If I never send them home, they don't deserve to be here. And I said, hang on a minute. They're actually a person, and this person was going on about who we should and shouldn't let in the country. That's what he does. He judges what he doesn't understand because he's confronted with stuff that actually upset his little status quo. That man has no empathy. Yet I'm thinking, man, what led that person to that point? What was the, th- what was the narrative, the story? What was, what was the pain that they went through? And by the way, what did they receive from us that caused them to hate us so much? Because in someone's narrative, you might judge them, but in fact, they're judging you out of their own glasses. And we've got to take responsibility sometimes for the way a relationship doesn't work because we're actually judging the other person and not listening to their story. And in doing so, they're not listening. There's no place for empathy because empathy draws you together. Remember, it's about sharing the feelings, understanding the story. But in order to understand, you've got to get past your own filters in order to know their story, to understand their story. But if we struggle, we won't hear the other story. We'll often hear to fix, or sorry, listen to fix. 
will often go, okay, I'm going to listen to this person for five minutes, then I'm going to talk. Now, marriage counselling, just want to say marriage counselling 101 has got nothing to do with telling the other person what you think, and yet it does. The first point of marriage counselling or relationship counselling 101 is let the other person speak. In order for the other person to speak, you've got to listen. But not just listen long enough to think, well, it's my turn. But listen to hear the heart. Empathy starts, and when I talk about the heart, the inner person. Because often what happens in the first few words is like, this is what I'm going to say because I'm just processing what I'm trying to say. Well, that's how I work, treaty doesn't work like this. I'm, I'm just processing what I'm trying to say, and, and, and I've just got to get it out. And we say the wrong things, and as a result, people often hear the wrong thing that's been said because they don't listen long enough for the right thing to come out, or take time enough to say, okay... I know you believe you understand what you think is here, but I'm not sure you realise that what you heard is not what I meant. Well, what did you mean? What did you mean? What's, what's been going on for you that led you to say that? And that's hard because sometimes when we're in conflict or we don't like the other person, not the person beside you, okay, it's got nothing to do with the people beside you, we don't listen because we don't want to listen because we're judging them. Mother Teresa said, I was going to put this up on the screen, but Mother Teresa said, when you judge another you will find you cannot love another fully. And yet what are we called to do? Agape, a neighbor, as we do ourselves. In fact, Jesus said that's the commandment that goes alongside loving God. And we go, I love you, God, like chocolate, dark chocolate. That's the hokey pokey, crunchy. I love you, God, and I long for you. Yet I hate my brother because you know what they're like, God. Show me how to love my brother because I don't like them. Well, God doesn't actually require you to do that. God says this. I'm not going to change your heart about your brother until you take a step towards your brother because the way I change your heart is I move you towards people. God, grant me patience. Are you a patient man? No. Yeah? Do you have patience? Uh, yeah, no, no. no. <laughs> so I, want, I wanted to get you to answer first. Is he a patient man? Generally. How long do you guys be married? Six months. Okay. <laughs> So, so is that teaching you patience? Yeah, very good. That's right. Fantastic. You get my point. Sometimes what God does is he brings different people, a group of differents, not difference, but differents, which is a weird name, making it a noun, not an adjective. Is that right? Anyway, not, not an, and, and he puts us together because God wants to teach us the things that we're longing God to teach us. God, grant me patience, but can I get out of this relationship with this person? Oh, my goodness, they're just really peeving me off. And God says, what do you want? Do you want me to answer your prayer or not? You see, which prayer is it that you're saying? Empathy starts with the ability to walk towards one another. Um, <clears throat> we judge what we don't understand. Moshin Hamid says empathy is about finding echoes of another person in yourself. And one of the things about understanding is not trying just to understand where you're polemically different. It's actually finding the shared narrative of life, right? The shared narrative of life. Think about Exodus 22 verse 21. Don't abuse or take advantage of strangers. This is from the message version. Okay, it's sort of along the lines of the, the NIV. Don't abuse or take advantage of strangers. Why? You were once strangers, what shared narrative there? Don't forget who you are and who you once were and start with that. 
Be gentle with one another, sensitive, forgive one another as quickly and as thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. They don't deserve forgiveness, God. Do you know how much they've hurt or what they've done or what they're wrong? But the Bible says very clearly we don't forgive when we like the person. We give the forgive before we even think much of the person because that's what God did for you. God did for me. God did for all of us. We share a narrative of a creator God that forgave before we were even born. What was your name? Chris. Do you know how long ago God forgave you? Do you remember the time you gave your life to God? When was that? 24 years ago. Do you know when God forgave you? 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago. God forgave you. Why? Because on the cross, forgiveness was completed. Now, it's whether or not you accept that is irrelevant. But forgiveness is given beforehand. It's not given at the point of saying sorry. That's transaction, and that's not empathetic forgiveness. It's just it's transaction, and our God isn't a transactional God like that. If you say sorry, I'll forgive you. Well, God, you, you stuffed that one up, didn't you? Because Jesus died 2,000 years ago, and I haven't yet said sorry. Forgiveness is there from the start. Because we have a God of forgiveness, just like we've got a God of agape who will do anything to ensure that all through your life, you're going to have the opportunity to live the life God intended you to do because he doesn't desire you to be a sinner saved. He desires you to be a child who grows up into the fullness of what it means to walk in the love, grace, compassion, goodness, mercy, kindness, patience, the fullness of God's life. Isn't that beautiful? What's that? You got one. You did. Yeah, 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 yeah. What about Colossians 3 verses 12? And this is the word compassion isn't the word empathy. But compassion comes into empathy. Because unless your heart breaks for something in the other person, it's hard to draw your life towards them in a way to give themselves fully. And we often say, break my heart from what what breaks yours, but as long as it's got nothing to do with Paul Ward. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. I I thought so. That's, that's, that's pretty good. So chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out. Put on the clothing God has got. Now, that doesn't mean physically. It actually means wrap, and wrap your life in the, in the ways of God, who is the one who loves you and died for you and forgave you and wants you to be a child. That means we're talking about father. We're meant to wrap ourselves in the DNA of a father. Sam, how much do you um, uh, imitate your dad? Or you're not quite there yet? No, I, I wished when I was 36 years old, I wished I could, uh, since 36, I wish my dad was still alive. When, when he died, I, I had a great week with him. But following that, as I've become a dad, there are so many times that I wanted to go up to my dad and go, I am so, so sorry. <laughs> I judged you, you were right, and I was through my teenage years. Clothe yourself and the new wardrobe God picked out for you, compassion, kindness, humility, quiet, strength, discipline. Be even-tented, complete, content with second place. Empathy actually requires us to make space for the other person. If you don't make space in your life for the other person, it's hard to actually listen and spend time and, and commit. So empathy requires us to make space. But in order to do that, I've got to be willing to put aside my desire, Chris, for first place. And I'm not looking at you and saying that because I think that's who you are. I'm just saying that because I've just blurted your name and I want to remember it. But the thing about it is, is so much 
So much of our life is trying to contend with, what about me? It isn't fair. I've had enough. Now I want my share. Can't you see? I want to live. Come on, guys. This is a hard audience today, Dan. Anyway, be even content with second place. Quick to forgive. Why do we forgive? We forgive because God gave us. We love because God first, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. And that means you're no longer a sinner because that's what happened back then. God doesn't call you a sinner. God calls you, we've sung about it, calls you a child. So act like that, Paul says in Galatians. Walk that way. It's pretty good. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear chocolate. I don't like chocolate. It's brown. I like chocolate to eat. Wear agape. What sort of love was agape? The servant love. The love that says the other person's as important than I am. And the other person actually has worthwhile. But in order to find their worth, we've got to figure that out. I'm almost finished. I'll go very quickly. Building empathy. Listen in order to understand. Already spoken about that. Listen to the heart. The way you listen to the heart, there's a very, very good uh, YouTube clip by um, somebody or other. I've forgotten. About five ways to listen. I encourage you to do it. Um, he's got a weird name. And it's uh, Julian. Julian's his first name. So just look up Julian and five ways to listen better. Anyway, yeah. Um, it's something like pleasure or something, doesn't matter. Uh, listen in order to understand. And, and in other words, it's saying, in order to listen to understand, it says that you, you matter to me. Joan matters to me, not just because her name is the same as my mother's and that's what her connection is, but because as she sits there and responds and is a part of this community, she influences this community by just being here. She influences it even more so by the depth and the eldership that she brings. Yes, because of age, but I'm not talking about ageism. I'm talking about the fact that Joan has been through some stuff that's been pretty tough that some of you could learn from. And Joan, please take this, that God has never been displeased with some of the things that you've gone through. Like people have told you, God must be so displeased. And I don't know whether that's a voice of a parent or whatever, but God didn't think that. God just said, Joan, we've got a lifetime to work this out, and I'm going to walk with you. Never will I leave you or forsake you, God said. And God says, I've been pleased because you've been faithful. But God, I've let you down. Yep, every child does. Yeah, but the love's still there. Sorry, didn't intend that, Joan. Please. Forgive. Hear the heart. That requires you to stop long enough to ask questions. I've already said that. Not just the words. You stupid person. You idiot. So do you think I'm an idiot? No. But that's how I've been taught to speak to people, to deflect. Because I've been told that all my life. Okay. So when you think I'm an idiot, what's been going on for you? Well... I came home from work, and the snotty little kids that I teach, I don't do that. I teach adults, snotty little adults. But anyway, <laughs> the snotty little kids that I teach were just really nasty, and they didn't listen to me. Well, what's been going on for you? Because you see, the reaction you've got has been the frustration of the day, but that's not the heart. Man, I can understand what you're going through. Sometimes work gets so tough. Let's pray about it, or let's go and just have a coffee. Coffee fixes everything, guys. You think chocolate does? Coffee fixes everything. 
single origin Colombian, even the best. And if you're wondering what I'm saying, come and see me later. Look for the shared narrative. Have we got some pens there, Melissa? You've got lots of pens. You've got a couple of pens? Thank you very much. Melissa's been an amazing help for me this year. I just want to honour Melissa. Um, she's not only been studying at our college, but she, was, she put her hand up to become and support us and be one of my interns and uh, just an amazing lady. So, Anyway, often what we do when we're, we're not empathetic or when we're in conflict, we sit at each end of the spectrum. I don't think what you think is right. I don't think you're right. You're stupid. I'm stupid. Well, you're just doubly stupid. Well, you sit on the green pen. I don't like the green pen. I'm an orange pen person. And we sit here and we say, until the other person becomes like me, we judge them for what we don't understand or what they trigger in us. And we don't realize that, in fact, there's a whole part of our humanity that is shared. We were sitting in class the other day talking about this in, in ethics, you know, um, and I'm not going to embarrass Melissa because Melissa didn't share this. It was someone else that I won't mention, but they said, oh, you know, someone said, oh, I, I, I met up with a whole lot of women in my community and, and they're actually wicker. Not wicked, wicker, which is witches. And another person says, oh, I just wouldn't know what to say to them. How do you actually, they, they, that scares me. We judge what we don't know. And she said, what would you do? I said, I'd have a coffee with them. What would you ask them? Well, how's your day? <laughs> What's been happening in your week? What do you think of the terrorist attack? What are you, who are you going to vote for? We have a shared narrative. Because in that shared narrative, we don't hear the problem of the polemic. We actually hear the commonality. Yeah, I'm a bit scared about that too. I'm a bit scared if either party gets in. <laughs> the shared narrative is actually what makes conversation, which creates understanding and connection, because all of a sudden we're connected we're connected not over what we're different about, not over what we're scared about, not over what we're frustrated about, but we're connected around what we share together. The shared narrative is what's going to give you the right to speak into some of your non-Christian friends' life. We often go as Christians and say, I've got to tell them about Jesus, and if they don't listen, it's pearls before swine. Do you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, have you given a cup of cold water to someone who's thirsty? Have you given a... A bit of food to someone who's a bit hungry. I went to the um, Justice Conference Leadership Breakfast and as I was walking out, I haven't told Trudy this, so I'm going to get in trouble. Um, sorry, I'll give you pens before I break them. <coughs> and Adam was sitting there with a sign and I've got into the habit of, since watching, um, I'm almost finished, I promise. Um, are, you going, are you doing all right? Have you got another five minutes? Great. Um, I was almost... I used to walk past people saying they're homeless, that's not a problem. We watched um, Filthy Rich and Homeless, two series on, on SBS, one in Sydney, one in Melbourne. And one of the things that fascinated me about, about this story was you actually heard the stories of the people on the street that you think, well, they should just get a job. Or they should just go into the housing that's made for them. There's, why, why won't they? Because there's so much backstory that we don't hear. And the first thing that someone said, because they had these rich people that went and had to be homeless for two weeks, and one person said the first and second night were really hard because people walked past me and ignored me as if I wasn't human and as if I wasn't there. Do you know one of the greatest cries of the human heart? Know me, love me, accept me. And so what I've decided to do is when I get the prompting, I've decided to give some money to people. I'm saying that quietly because we're going to have a conversation afterwards when we walk in. 
But what I've decided to do based on Filthy Rich and Homeless is not just give someone money. So I've met two amazing people in the street. I've met Max, who sits down on the corner of um, Elizabeth Street and Flinders Street. Big guy, amazing story. I only had about um, five-minute conversation with him. Phenomenal story. Every time I see Max, I'm going to sit with him. Because Max has a name. And his story actually is a story of brokenness and trauma and pain and rejection. The outcast, I think it was, you used Dan, 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 behind Dan. Yeah, fantastic. The outcast, shared narrative. Find the commonality. And the other one was Adam, as I walked towards the leadership. Adam, told you it would come in. I don't know much about Adam because we didn't have time and, and it was rushed, but I, I will not give someone money until I know their name because then I'm giving to a person, not just to a cause. Because at some stage I want to figure out to connect and I would like to swear, but I won't. But here's a story from my psychologist uh, trainer when I did my counselling. She said I was 15 years old and I wanted to go out and help some of the homeless. She said I actually put my hand up and I said, Mum, you've got to take me to some of the shelters and some of the places because I want to talk and sit. And so she went out on her own at 15 and sat with these men in the middle of Melbourne and some of you going... And she said, I sat and I listened to people who had been traumatized from war, who had, who had had their family ripped apart through divorce and pain, who had a story of longing to be accepted and belonging. And she said afterwards, and I'm, only, I'm not going to swear, I promise. She said, that was effing amazing. And I went, ooh. She said, that was effing the most effing amazing time of my life. She wasn't a Christian, yet she was living the life of clothe yourself with compassion and love. Yeah? Almost finished. Where's my um, do-do-do? Here, thanks very much. You see, it says, walk with, not just above, and have self-compassion. If you want to build empathy, you've got to start giving yourself the chance just to give yourself a break. Sometimes you are too broken to give. Sometimes you don't quite have it right. Find a way to spend time to get healing and hope. And it doesn't just come through one prayer, guys. Sometimes it takes years, but give yourself a break. And if you feel like you don't have empathy for someone, ask God what it is in your own life that needs to be met. And that'll start the ball rolling. Because as we heard from your daughter, God does speak. I wanted to ask her what God sounded like. Did he have a big, deep voice? But anyway, that's, that's right. You see, what this speaks about is one anothering. In other words, the other person matters. If the other person doesn't matter, you don't have empathy. You might have sympathy. But empathy comes when all of a sudden there's something worthwhile in the other person. As I finish, four attributes of empathy. See the world as others sees it. This is like the four, four attributes. Be non-judgmental. Um, Teresa Wiseman was the person that uh, said this. Understand another person's feelings. To do that, you've got to actually stop long enough, not just to transfer... Not just to say, oh, yeah, I know how you feel. You feel sad, I feel sad. It might be a different sort of sadness. Communicate your understanding of the person's feelings. So when you feel sad, is this what you feel? No, okay, is this what you feel? Yes, now we have a shared story. Try and understand. It says this in Galatians 6 verse 2. You have to have a Bible verse to finish the message. <laughs> I love Galatians because I'm about to finish a PhD in it. But Galatians 6 2 says, Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you obey the law of Christ. You carry each other's burdens as you carry your own load because you each have a burden to carry. So you can say, Okay, 
what are they feeling and thinking? What are they going through that I can actually carry with them? You're not to take their burden off them. You're meant to share the load. As a community, share the load with the need of each other to build empathy. If you've got fears about going out into the street, don't say, yes, I'll follow because that's what I'm told to do. Talk with someone about what those fears are so that you can, with passion and some form of confidence, actually stand before someone that might actually trigger something or say something that you don't know anything about. In other words, build a community of confidence, not just at the level of evangelistic cognitive thinking, but at the level of actually what is it that your fear's about, but what's triggering that? What's behind that? Because as we know, it doesn't matter how much practice you get in something, if there's something blocking you from actually owning that, it's only a task. It's never a heart thing. And here's the final one. We do this. Jesus says the greatest command, a new command I give you. Agape one another as I have agaped you. You see, all of this comes from a willingness to say we matter as much as I matter. And if I matter, I'm helping you. You are helping me because we're one anothering in that. Empathy, the ability to go beyond just sympathy, the ability to walk with someone and find the echo of them in yourself to help them move forward. Yes, it requires some self-sacrifice. But if we're doing it as a community, as you are self-sacrificing for the other person, they are reciprocating. So that when we go out into a community that don't know this place, don't know Jesus, we're not singing that song in our head. What about me? It isn't fair. I've had enough. I had a Christian friend who's now one of my clients who's struggling with that very thing. He said, I've given my whole life for the sake of others and I've got nothing to give. And he said, what about me? And he said, I feel selfish saying it because in order to get something, I've got to stop giving myself. And I said, you've got a wrong theology because stopping long enough to fill up, to work it out, to deal with your own stuff is not selfishness. It's actually self-care, self-compassion and self-empathy that the Spirit of God can come along and then touch. And that's for someone today. I don't know who it is. God, I just pray that you will bless this wonderful community. You'll bless the individuals that are in it. Thank you for their patience. Um, thank you for the empathy of some people that have journeyed my, my uncertainty. But no, no, Lord, Father, I pray that you would um, build, us, build in us a, a resilience to not only take time to give to others, but also take time out for you and others to give to us. Father, I pray that we would be a community of empathetic beers as much as empathetic doers. That, Lord, when we're out on the street trying to bring people who don't know you into the, to, to your family, that we wouldn't be operating out of fear or uncertainty or insecurity or just group think that's what we should do, but we'll be working out of that sense of what you've given to us, we can give to others. Father, I pray that in the loving one another, you would build into this community the ability for us to come closer together as individuals and families and couples, as friends and as a community so that when people look at Catalyst, they don't just see a, a church on a mission with a task. They see a, a church on a mission with a task that flows out of just the, the awesome depth that they have for one another. 
And that would be the countercultural narrative that would draw people to seek you. Thank you for our time together. And I just pray that we would be able to glorify you in all we do as you are our model of true empathetic love. In Jesus' name, amen.